Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. My name's Laz, and to my right is my esteemed co-host, Mr. Philippe Amarin. How are you doing, Philippe? I'm fine, Laz, and you? Yeah, not bad, thanks, man. People could be mistaken because uh, we're actually in the exact same scenario as when we recorded the first episode, aren't we? Exactly. Uh, rock and roll, food, uh, Formula <laughs> One. We've done another barbecue, and Philippe's come over again for another weekend to record some more stuff. So it doesn't get any better than that. Formula One, barbecue... A bit of beer. It's like, why, if, if it's not broken, why fix it? It's a great, <laughs> great weekend format, isn't it? We're going to do that every time. So if there's not, if there's not Formula One and barbecue, I'm not doing. You won't this. have a podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. No podcast. Excellent. Yeah, looking good, man. Everything okay? I love yeah. uh, loving your Chewbacca t-shirt. Cool, isn't it? Star Wars. Star Wars, Star Wars is rock and roll. I'm rocking isn't it? the uh, the Iron Maiden alternative power slave shirt actually because this isn't what the cover looks like isn't it this is well do you know what the cover is the pyramids and all the stuff but it's in daytime all right whereas this is like it's almost as if it's dusk you know as the sun's coming down um cool found it online for a really cool shirt yeah well good man lovely weather and um podcasting time right yeah exactly what we're going to talk about today so this week's episode is called whole lot of zep because we are going to be reviewing, discussing, and analysing Led Zeppelin II's impact on music and the world of rock and roll. So, um, should we go straight in? Yeah, That's good awesome, choice, right? man. Yeah, well, I mean, we had to choose this episode. Ah, by all means, do the, do the ceremonial beer cracking. Yeah. There we okay. go, lovely. Now I can start. I, I'm a water guy, but cheers. cheers. Yeah. Um, so, we thought, I mean, because we, we, this is our first album review, if you like, we thought we'd start with something that's close to both of us because we both love yeah. this album we both love Zep um, and I think it's going to be really easy for us to talk about and get into it's so. probably the band I've listened to like the most I think I don't I don't remember listening to any other band as much as I've listened to Led Zeppelin so uh, which doesn't mean I know more about them than you do. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just the music, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, excellent. So um, Led Zeppelin 2, this was a really um, important album because, you know, uh, something that people might think that the first album of a band is quite, is, is more seminal because it introduced the band to this, uh, introduced the band to the world. Yeah. But sometimes the follow-up album can be better because yeah. they can often uh, work and improve on what they did before. And I think this is the case for Led Zepp 2, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so this album was released in October of 1969. Um, but do you want to talk a bit about how they recorded it? Because it's quite a weird process for the 60s, wasn't it? It, it, it is, yeah. I think one interesting thing about uh, recording sessions at the time is most bands would be playing live in studio. I mean, overdubs existed, but they were not commonplace as they are now. And you yeah. wouldn't, you know, fix recordings, you know... Um, you know, fix the tempo or, or notes or pitch or whatever. Uh, so bands would perform live and maybe overdub some guitar solos and vocals and backing vocals. That's yeah. how they did the first album. They actually recorded the whole of the first album in, in, in a few hours, really. Um, oh, really? But, yeah. Was it just like a live performance? Uh, yeah, well, it's not. I think it, I think they, I don't know, something between 20 and 30 hours in total, wow. something like that. No, I don't know if it was on the same day, but they didn't have budget for like more than that certain amount <laughs> that of hours sense, yeah so they actually did it like <laughs> you have it, to get the album yeah done. so the first album is pretty much kind of a live album in that sense they play the songs how they used to play them live it's loads of jamming but yeah so the first album has a, a huge impact as everyone knows but led zeppelin, led zeppelin 2 was recorded on the road so yes. they used several different studios they didn't do everything in one place and um or, I mean, and they had to set up the gear, mic it up, do the session, and then pack it up because they they needed to do 
uh, to use the same gear for the tour. So and you, and then imagine the nightmare of like preparing preparing a a recording session and then you just have to you know go away at the end of the day do with all the gear tomorrow. do a gig etc. So they did that. I think they were touring North America, isn't it? Uh, yeah. US and Canada. You'd think that that kind of approach would lead to a very disjointed sounding album, wouldn't you? You'd think that the songs would sound different because if one song's been recorded in one way with different gears in like New York and another song was recorded in a short amount of time in London, you'd think that there'd be some, uh, yeah, disjointedness within the album. But and it doesn't I, sound you that know way, what? I do think there is a bit in terms of uh, the technical quality, not, not saying there's no... So you do uh, think that? That's I do think, no, not, not in terms of the music. That's how, how powerful the music is and makes the music more relevant. If you listen to the second part of Heartbreaker after the guitar solo, so it, it clearly sounds to me that they did the first part in one town and then they did just that, you know, guitar solo, proper solo, literally just a guitar. Yeah in another town, in another studio, and they did the ending, another part. The oh. guitar riff sounds so different. First time I've, I've listened to it, not only because it's a different riff, I thought, oh, is that another song? Oh, it's the same song. Oh, really? So the whole ambience production-wise? Yeah, production-wise. Probably because you can't uh, really get the exact same sound from two different studios. But if you analyze it like technically and listen carefully, you can notice some differences, especially in the ambience and stuff like yeah. that. But then you would get too technical. But the point is, even with those, you know, uh, um, difficulties and even with uh, um, the different sounds from different studios, the songwriting is so powerful from the album, the riffs and, and um, the structures of the songs that it just, everything just works fine together and I think it's a big departure from the first one because the first album was a jam really well that's it Jimmy Page said that when they were writing and recording this album they actually or he whoever was the predominant songwriter wrote this for the band so it wasn't about um, a guy who'd written all the songs getting his band to come and add their parts this was songs or these were songs that were written to be played by the band Led Zeppelin who at this time as you said were on tour and they were establishing themselves as a band yeah and although it doesn't make I mean I think it makes sense what I'm saying the first album was Led Zeppelin yeah. but it was songs brought by Page that the yes. rest of the band had he to was fit way around. more in control he exactly. obviously stayed in control for most yeah. of their career but this album was written for the band for knowing the band. what John Paul Jones can do knowing what John Bonham and John Paul Jones can do in my opinion it's where John Paul Jones plays at its you know best yes for, for sure is the most creative bass lines are there and he, he seemed to 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 be totally free, like uh, uh, musically, artistically. So it's, it sounds really great. Yeah. And also is where you have Moby Dick, there's a drum solo. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that Paige was like, okay, now I'm confident uh, after touring with these guys that they they have a lot to show, they have a lot to deliver. I'm going to give, offer, yeah. yeah, I'm going to give them some, you know, some of the spotlight. As, and, as a drummer, yeah. how, how important was Moby Dick to the world of rock and roll and to the world of drummers at that time? Well, it kind of changed the whole thing, isn't it? Not, um, not only because it's in the album, because they performed it live and Bonham would do it for like 20 minutes. So I, I read that they had about 20 minutes worth of takes to make Moby Dick to for make the album. Moby Dick. So, yeah, to four minutes. that's another thing that you can't imagine how how they pieced together different different solos recorded in different studios yeah. and they made it sound like one 
um, solid drum solo. And it's a, again, it's a proper solo like the guitar one in Heartbreaker. Because everyone stops playing and the drummer uh, uh, gets to show off. Yeah. But uh, Cream has done that before with Ginger Baker. They mm. would have a song where he would be the you know the soloist and then and then start the song again. But you can see that Paige wrote the song for Bonzo because it's like uh, it's an instrument. It's their only instrumental song. No, there's a, there's some acoustic uh, songs uh, in other albums, but it's their only I think full band instrumental song so they they written that song for John Bonham to play a solo it's yeah. it's a kind of a a, a a blues chord progression uh it's just like okay here's some riffs we're going to play for a while and then there's a drum solo then we play again well an interesting difference between what well, because you mentioned Ginger Baker from Cream and um John Bonham from Led Zeppelin yeah. a fundamental difference is although i think you know we will talk about Cream eventually on this show because they're such a hugely influential and innovative yeah. band but Ginger Baker was a jazz drummer, wasn't he? Yeah. So he, I, I suppose in 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 Ginger Baker's world, it was kind of normal for drums to have solos. Yeah, exactly. But in the world of rock and roll where John Bonham was from, no. maybe it wasn't so normal. Well, you can argue that's the first famous uh, rock drum solo. Okay, yeah. People have done it before live, but Moby Dick... But to get it on an album. Yeah, on an album like that. And to be confident enough to have that in an album, like, well, you want you know, a drummer to play for, you know, yeah. three minutes, I think, in the album and 20 minutes live. Yeah. And also the drums, they became uh, um, really, really important for the overall sound of the band. And people would come to the gig to see John Bonham yeah, performing. Exactly. Uh, the, the, you know, the magazines would be talking about him. So it's one of the the, the very first times in, in, in music history that people are going to be talking the, about the drummer as much as they would talk about the singer or the guitar yeah. player. So um, it's undeniable that with Moby Dick and with Led Zeppelin too, John Bonham and Led Zeppelin changed the history of drumming in rock, in rock music, and rock, yeah. rock music, for sure. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, uh, the, uh, quite a lot was done. You, you mentioned about the live stuff as well, and what I was reading is that actually uh, most of the riffs from this album came because they were playing live, as you've mentioned. They were touring the USA, Canada, the UK, whilst writing material for Led Zeppelin too. And where a lot of those come from is... For those of you who know Led Zeppelin 1, there's a song called Dazed and Confused on there. And that's a song that's on the album, it's about four minutes long. And yeah. there's a, there, it has a start and a finish and a middle section where in the, in the album track, they kind of improvise and it goes off a little bit. Just kind of like a whole lot of love in this, in this album. But when they played it live, Dazed and Confused could go on for 25 minutes. You'll remember in our first episode when I said that's actually how I got into this music. It was my dad played me a 26 minute version of Dazed and Confused. And John Paul Jones commented that most of the riffs from Led Zeppelin 2 came from improvised sections when they were doing Dazed and Confused live. That's interesting. Yeah, I found a quote. He said, um, he said, we'd, <laughs> so this is from John Paul Jones. He said, we'd remember the good stuff and dart into a studio along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, you hear those stories about bands writing songs during sound checks, but what they would do is like writing on the spot, isn't yeah. it? You're performing live, you improvise a melody on the guitar, on the bass, and think, oh, this is actually a riff I can use in a song. So I think the 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 songwriting element on Led Zeppelin 2 is... Uh, 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 Definitely a step forward compared to Led Zeppelin. It's one. just a different way. Isn't Le- it? Led Zeppelin one, they were uh, to put it nicely, they were borrowing uh, blues stuff. <laughs> they still did that on Led Zeppelin. 
Led Zeppelin two yeah. and and further on, but um, you have like references to to blues lyrics and riffs and stuff like that, but um, they were kind of defining what Led Zeppelin was right there. I think yeah. uh, the first album is just a really powerful album. But there's loads of like jamming around there. I don't know what to do. I'm yeah. gonna play this for five minutes. But Led Zeppelin too, in terms of songwriting, in terms of structure, knowing exactly what sounds and what riffs they wanted, mm. I think it sounds solid. And they had the budget, uh, if not the time, they had the budget to do it. Make it and, sound good. And it sounds like um, sounds so alive because it's it's like you're playing, you you touring and recording. There's no you know better time for a band than in the middle of a tour to be creative that's absolutely it, true know? and we know that don't we yeah. from our experiences yeah when we we toured brazil at the end of uh was it 2019 it don't was, re- yeah. i don't remember anything that happened the last <laughs> it two was years, the end of 2019 we were touring brazil um myself and felipe with jack and we had done three weeks i mean we had two gigs a week um for three weeks and then our, as soon as those gigs finished the momentum we carried from those gigs we then, the day after our final show, went into a studio in the middle of the Brazilian rainforest, which was just yeah. stunning. Um, and we carried that momentum and we wrote the song World on Fire with Jack, didn't yeah. we? And it was the first time that the three of us had written a song together. And we wrote the song there. Like, yes. So yeah. Jack came with the riff. Oh, this is the, the lyrics I made in the song. So I think what Zeppelin did was similar to that. Like, we're, you know, jamming and improvising live. And I think that's a good idea. We have a studio session tomorrow. Why not use it? Yeah. So maybe, you know, but still, it sounds more like they, they were totally in control. And obviously, you have the psychological element as well. You are successful at this point. Yes. People yeah. respect you. So you they take more risks. You take more yeah. risks. You think, you think they're going to they're gonna buy whatever you release at that point. Yeah. And I think they, yeah, they did an amazing yeah. job in that sense. Uh, and it's interesting also to mention how it, it sits perfectly between... Zep one and three, because well, we'll talk about this because wow, this is an album episode. But yeah. when we do a Led Zepp band episode, yeah. we'll go deeper into this because I have very strong opinions on. Yeah, I, I love the progression of Zep one through to four. Because, yeah, and then you can hear. I don't want to get carried away because we've got to save this for the Zep <laughs> episode. But you, you, the journey from one, two, three, four houses of the holy to physical graffiti is stunning, yeah. and you can hear the band get better and better with each album. Yeah. But let's save that for the Zep episode. Yeah. So you have what deeper. you have, like uh, in Led Zeppelin two, in contrast to one and three, is uh, maybe as heavy as the first album. Mm. But with more confidence and and sounding more like a band, yeah. they knew each other. They've been on tour a few times in America and the UK, so that is more like okay, we we're totally confident about our skills and our you know ability to write songs, yeah. and that's it. It's really cool, Excellent. really cool. Right. So uh, as we said, this uh, they recorded this whilst they were on tour. Um, they actually recorded it over eight months. I think they did it from January to August of uh, 1969. Um, and they went to six different studios across the world. There was New York, LA, London, Vancouver, Memphis. God, you can't do that nowadays. Just <laughs> it's just too expensive, expensive to do, isn't it? <laughs> um, but that's what happened. And then, uh, the, you know, Jimmy Page would take all the tapes along with him and they'd do some editing depending on the studio they were at. I read one thing where they said, I think it was in Vancouver, <laughs> they call it a studio, you know, in quotation marks, studio. studio. Page said it was more like a hut at the back of a garden. God. It only had an eight, um, what's the phrase? I have eight my channel. Notes. An eight channel tape thing. 
Um, and they didn't even have a headphone input. <laughs> so Paige went there with his guitar and just, you know, he didn't he even couldn't, know what he was he, listening to. Oh, he couldn't listen back exactly. to his own guitar. Um, but I think, you know, we touched on the style of the album. And I think what's really important is to know that there's a lot of styles incorporated into this album. Because Zep 1, you could... If you're kind of forced to call it one style, you could call it a blues rock album. Yeah. But Zep 2 incorporates a lot more stuff. I mean, I mean, some people call Zep 2 one of the first heavy metal albums. Not compared to what we know metal as today. Yeah. But a loud album with distorted guitars, Robert Plant screaming and wailing. I think at the time that's what heavy metal was. I th- well, I think the guitar was like pretty much in your face. Like you yeah. don't have that um, before that album, I guess. And yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, so layers well as, and layers of guitars, yeah. distorted, sh- the shouting and kind of stuff. Well, on top of that, you hear things like Whole Lot of Love um, has that middle section, which was quite psychedelic, like yeah. that 60s psychedelia stuff, um, which we heard quite a bit on um, Zep 1 in the that, days. That's, that's, a bit, that's interesting, isn't it? Because they, they were kind of challenging the, the, the mainstream uh, music. Yeah. Because they were like... Okay, this is going to be in the single. Let's put it like that. That song. Which one? Hollow uh, love. love. But they said, "No, we want this like <laughs> middle section with um, you know two minutes of noises and, and stuff." Well, do you know something? Uh, that and they actually did. There's a radio edit, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, they you know didn't that? agree with that. Someone tried to make a radio edit, and it was the first. Whole lot of love was the first single the Zep released from the album, and the UK radio stations tried to edit it and cut it down and they said, no, we don't want it. And they never released a single in the UK again. Oh, wow. Did you know that? I didn't know I, that. I did that when I was doing my research. There you go. That, that they were so fed up that these producers and these radio guys so were saying, no, 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 cut it down. Yeah. You know, well, that's crazy. But the, again, we were talking on the first show how rock and roll is not only music, it's an attitude. It's like, can you, would you dare to challenge the industry and say, no, this is what I think is good music and good art. And if it's not commercial enough, I don't care. Because in the end of the day, you can still sell a lot and can still make money by being original. And they've proved that. So like a whole lot of love is, you know, it's a hit. And it's... Why should Zeppelin compromise their style to suit a radio station? Why should they make their song fit into a three-minute bracket when the song they've written is four and a half minutes? That's the rock and roll attitude. Exactly. You don't compromise for any. What's the uh, Rorschach quote? Uh, never, uh, compromise, never compromise. Not, not even, even in the face, face of, of Armageddon. Armageddon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apply that to Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what they do. Yeah. So that's it. Rock and roll, never compromise. Yeah. But yeah, and and um, I, I read this uh, interview with um, Billy Gibbons talking specifically about Whole Lot of Love. Uh, and he said the first time he heard the song, it was like, wow, is this, what what is that? Like really impressive riff. But he said something that is really interesting, which is th- that riff is still sounds powerful now. If you listen, you know, yeah. if you put it, if you you bring the levels up to eleven and listen to that opening riff, that is as powerful and and relevant as it was at the time. And how many years after that? Why know? doesn't Billy just make ten louder? <laughs> Because if we can go to 11. We fitted in our, our Spinal Tap reference. Yeah. I'm happy now. Yeah. End, end the show. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Is it mandatory to do one Spinal Tap reference? I feel like we, we have to try. Yeah. I feel like we owe it to Spinal Tap we to try. It. Yeah. But anyway, Whole Lot of Love. I mean, let's start there. Because obviously, you know, nine tracks on the album. Whole Lot of Love is the one that kicks it off. Um, as you said, it is such a, a landmark in guitar music, rock music, 
sixties music and yeah. rock and roll in general. Because I mean, I, when I was doing some research, it's such an important song. Check this out. So Rolling Stone named a whole lot of love the seventy fifth greatest song of all time. Mm. Uh, Q said it was the third best guitar track of all time. VH1 called it the third best hard rock song ever, and BBC Radio 2 called it the best guitar riff of all time. Now that's the a best that's a bunch riff. of compliments, isn't it? Do right you know there. How interesting it is to be the best guitar riff with just a few notes, isn't it? Yeah. Because it, it, it's it's the rhythm of the riff that they. It's three notes. Yeah. Do 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 dun. And then it's like, three notes. That kind of like. It, it, yeah, it's it's like the riff is calling you. Like, pay attention. Here we are, yeah. and then and then the rhythm is just so yeah. solid. Again, there's an interesting thing there because Led Zeppelin one starts with, um, you know, good times, bad times. Just everyone plays the same two notes, yeah, and it's really strong. Uh, this one's like, okay, here's the guitar. How cool it is! Mm. A few bars later, you got the bass. Isn't it? Or the yeah. stuff. No, no, you're yeah, right. Yeah, the bass comes in after. It's like, okay, see how you know how it sounds more powerful when the bass comes in. And then you have Robert Plant screaming on top but of that. Bonham's not it's even like, in it. Not point, in there. So exactly. So you kind of build up um showing how good each band member is yeah, as it true. goes. Like, yeah. here's the guitar, here's the bass, here's the vocals. And and if they didn't blow your mind by then, <laughs> then it comes, comes, comes in with a massive drum fill loud. Know the Zeppelin are yeah, a big band. Into, into the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. You don't need anything else. And they keep delivering until yeah. the end of the song. So That's right, yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of think the less said about Whole Lot of Love, the better. <laughs> Just go yeah. and listen to it and you'll that's hear it. what listen, a great track is. And that's it. Um, following Whole Lot of Love is a track called What Is and What Should Never Be, which is actually a fascinating track, isn't it? Because it's really hard to kind of categorize it. It's not a soft blues track. It's not a heavy rock track. It's, it's I just call it, a, it's chilled, isn't it? It's a <laughs> I don't psych, know what to call psychedelic uh, hippie it is, rock yeah. ballad. Yeah. And this is, <laughs> this is the first taste we get of John Paul Jones's stupendous melodic bass playing because there's actually not much guitar on there. Um, Jimmy Page is just playing the chords. And again, you start a song with vocals. Yeah. And if I say to you, and tomorrow, the bass comes in, and then the bass with that stunning melody, just it's a, so different, isn't it? It is my favorite in the album. Oh, really? Alongside Ramble On, yeah. I I'll love tell it. You, yeah. I'll tell you why. Um, as I said, it starts with the vocals, and the tempo is not steady. It's never there. They build up the tempo. The vocals yes. guide the band, so you see how they actually playing with each other. You can't put that, you know, you can't play that song against a metronome. It's not going to work. Mm. It's not uh, It's not perfect at all. It yeah. is there. It, it flows. And you have all the instruments, again, coming one after the other. And the drums are so quiet so in the soft, verse. Aren't they? And so loud in the chorus. And um, Paige said in an interview that one of the elements they were looking for when they started Zeppelin, when the, he first talked to Robert Plant about uh, the concept for the band is, I want light and shade and that's that's what i want beautiful to, you know so a whole lot of loves the shade what is well it? actually the light in the same song in that case okay yeah because it gets heavier doesn't it for the choruses and the exactly. ending as well I you see can't what you mean. if you if you just play for someone you play the chorus of that song yeah i say well this is you know fairly heavy and if you play the intro it doesn't sound like the same song yeah but yeah. What is hard, I think, it's easy It's easy for any musician to write two different parts 
that sound like, oh, this one is light and this one is heavy. And okay, but to piece them together. Yeah. And to find the way to transition yeah. from the light into the dark. There are a few really important things on this song. From the light into the dark. From the, that's yeah. Yeah. Album title Ooh. or band name. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Um, there's some very innovative things that happen on this song. Um, I'll talk about the first one first, and that's the the uh, I don't, I don't know what you call it, the production or the the engineering on this. You'll notice that as the song comes to its climax with that end section, which is basically like a jam, Page's guitar goes from left to right in your ear. Oh yeah, lovely. and you got to think. Obviously, the Beatles did so much with production and um, engineering in mid '60s, but you're still hearing. You got to remember, this is still innovative stuff. Yeah. Despite the fact the Beatles did it five years earlier, it doesn't mean that the Beatles did it and bang, everyone did it. It was yeah. still being introduced. And so I love that section towards the end of the song where you've got in your in your ears, you've got dun 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 and it just comes and it comes to you from both sides. It's fantastic. Um and that's what Jimmy Page was doing a lot of on this album, is he was experimenting with the engineering and the mixing and the producing of it. And there's a few in Whole Lot of Love as well, isn't it? Where, yeah, isn't it? Doesn't John Bonham keep the percussion going and it goes from the left side? Yeah. No, it's not. It's um, Plant's vocals. It's like goes from left yeah. to right, goes ah, 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 to the other oh, side oh. and then round, ah, ah, around the top yeah. of your head. It's lovely. And it's, it's, it's mental because that, that kind of middle section of Whole Lot of Love is totally. Uh, experimental in terms, and if it wasn't for the sound engineering, it would be just boring. It would. You're it's right, all yeah. about the effects. It's all about the explore the, the 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 effects. But it's interesting that at that point, with you know fame and money, they could have, you know, hired a producer. But then again, it shows the confidence they had. And that how, Page had in himself. Yeah, Page was like, you know, I'm going to produce this myself yeah. again. Why, why not? wasn't you either? What if you oh, yeah. know what your band has got to sound like? Why would you give put it in the hands of someone else? Well, fear. People are like, oh, what if it doesn't work? Yeah, you know, but it works. Yeah, it works. I mean, it yeah. works when they know what they do. Another really important thing is um, rapping, because in this song, if you think about it, Robert Plant yeah. does some rapping. Wow, <laughs> do you know the part I mean at the end? Yeah. The same yeah. part. The very Where's end. The wind don't blow when you really shouldn't go when it only goes to show. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, think for, about that. yeah. for that point in for time, sixties, you... you got an early example <laughs> of some rapping. God, yeah. Crazy, isn't it? And it was actually a little side note. It was, this was where Robert Plant's first writing credit on the oh. Led Zeppelin tune, which is cool. Yeah. Anyway. Great. Right, next tune we go on. It's kind of different, the next tune, because we've had a hard rock song, we've had a psychedelic song, yeah. and now we've got a pure blues, yeah. the Lemon Song, my personal favourite of the album. Um, what can you say about the Lemon Song, other than that it's just it's just a blues track? It's blues. They um, borrowed... Borrowed, yeah. Um, that's Killing Floor, actually. It is. I, uh, there's an early pressing of Led Zepp 2 that actually they have uh, Killing Floor as the title of the song. I know something. Do you know the, Howling Wolf. Do you know the record shop in St. Albans mm-hmm. where we played that time? Yeah. I bought Led Zepp 2 on vinyl for my dad from that one. Does it say Killing Floor now? Yes. My wow, one doesn't. No, my really? one has lemon sauce. Oh, yeah, oh, take mine My one has lemon sauce. Lemon and my dad got the killing, killing floor. floor. I think they, they were just. They just thought, you know, we can get away with this because basically that's blues. That's not their, um, you know, it's not their child, no, isn't no, it? No. Basically, what they did was, if you listen to Killing Floor by Howling Wolf, it's it's fast paced. It's yeah. it's an up tempo blues song, quite funky, I guess. 
And they, they pay homage to that with the middle section. Of yeah, the song, but the they? riff is based on the original riff as well. But what they did was amazing. It's like, let's play that so much slower. Yeah. And with you know, high-pitched vocals, it's not blues, isn't it? It's, so I think what they were doing is proper heavy blues, yep. right? And also, um, I think the main issue is not that. It's not like, uh, um, you know, playing a riff that sounds like that song is the lyrics. That's where people uh, would say, oh, they're just stealing from the blues. Um, we got to be fair and say, yes, they did do that. Um, Plant admitted that, you know, time and time again. I mean, you know, we have the lawsuits and everything. Just, just quickly but, on that, Zeppelin's only problem was that they didn't credit all the time. Yes. I've got no point. issues should with credit. taking lyrics, taking music, forming it and moulding it yeah. into your own. We'll talk about this when we get to bring it on home. Well, you, you just got to give them credit. That's, you, that's it. Just, just put their name on it. That's well, it. you got to say that um, even Howling Wolf took the idea of Killing Floor from uh, an, yep. an earlier song. Yeah, Arthur so. McKay. Yeah, is that called, it? Yeah, Arthur yeah. McKay. The song was called... Squeeze my lemon. Oh no, no, that's that's where Robert Johnson got the idea. Oh, for, you're right. For, for Robert Johnson yeah. got it from Arthur so, McKay. I just can't remember the song name. Exactly. Maybe so there's well, there's a song. If you want to check, you know, we can use Google here. Oh no, we, I've got it. We're allowed to do whatever. It's in want. my notes. So Robert Johnson put the song. No, no, I'm right. The, no, Rob, that's, Robert for Johnson, the, that's for the line. The, the line. No, the, Robert Johnson in his song "Traveling Riverside Blues" yeah. says "Squeeze my lemon," which is yeah. from an Arthur McKay song called "She Squeezed My Lemon." Yes, there you go. <laughs> but there's, I think there's, there's an early, uh, an early blues song called "Hard Time Killing Floor Blues." Is that Howling Wolf? He, no, it's not no. Howling. Howling Wolf took the Killing Floor. From that song. Oh, cool. oh, I forgot the name of the guy. So I'll do a research. Okay. We're going to put in this in this uh, you know you know in the yeah. Just a quick note, guys. Um, we've we we've responded and we've got lots of feedback from our first episode and um a few things that people said is that they would have liked to have some form of reference to whenever we speak about specific songs yeah. or musical examples. So um, we've got a little surprise for you in one of the segments of this episode. But what we're going to do is every episode. Uh, we haven't decided yet whether we're going to do a different playlist for every episode or just one big long live rock and roll playlist, which has every tune in. But we're going to make a big playlist on Spotify for you guys, where every time we do a show, any songs we talk about, including these yeah. blues songs, we're going to put them in the playlist so you guys can hear what we're talking about. So I don't think we're going to put the whole of Led Zepp 2 in our playlist because it's obvious the episode is about it. But these songs we're talking about by Johnson, Howling Wolf, we'll stick them in the playlist for you um, and it'll be available on our Spotify and we'll put the link on our social medias and stuff. So Yeah, it's, yeah. it's good to do research on those things, isn't it? So It's uh, just great to hear where it's come from. Yeah, you know, yeah. We so, spoke about it in the first episode, seeing the journey. Yeah, we got from. So see, you can just claim that they stole that song from blues artists, but in the end, it's a homage, as I said. And you have so you have uh, Howling Wolf getting an idea or stealing an idea from from an early blues singer and and writing Killing Floor, and you have the the, the first lines from Killing Floor as the first lines of the first yeah. verse for, for a uh, lemon song. And yeah. the lemon thing is Robert Johnson. So you got like four or three or four different blues uh, singers, like uh, uh, kind of um, quoted yeah. somehow in the song. It's really cool. Yeah. Excellent. And um, so after lemon song comes the beautiful track called thank you. Um, which again, I mean, how, how do you how do you describe this track? Because it's, it's it's not psychedelic, like what is and what should never be, and it's not rock, and it's, it's not, not blues. It's it's if pop, 
It's early pop. I think How it's pop you... music somehow because yeah. it's a cheesy. You've got to think of the lyrics. Yeah, the lyrical content yeah. as well. This, he wrote this song about his wife, Robert Plant. Yeah. Um, Beautiful lyrics. Oh, just stunning, aren't they? And the, the, the soft guitar is just wonderful to hear, isn't it? It's, uh, Paige plays this on a 12 string acoustic, actually. And you've got John Paul Jones on the Hammond organ just lending those stunning harmonies. And you plays. have John Bonham's backing vocals. Which part? Little drops of rain. Oh, is yes. that him singing behind? <laughs> Amazing. Is yes. this not the best rock and roll band ever? It's like, come on. <laughs> you, but John Bonham was a great singer. You can hear. I, I mean, there's a few times where he got the chance to sing a few things uh, as a backing vocalist. He did a great job. Yeah. And But that song is the opposite of the rest of the album. No one is trying to show off. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's a bit, it, we can almost consider it as a pop song. Because yeah. there's no, there's no like um, complicated guitar solos or like impossible drum fills or anything that's going to make you think, oh, that guy can really play. It's not about that song. Is not about the musicians. That's Led it's Zeppelin writing a good pop ballad. Writing for the sake of the song. For the sake of the song. The song is what mo- is most important in this section. There you go. Yeah, that's all. I mean, say, th- this is this song has been. Um, so critically acclaimed like people love it I mean just a few quotes uh, Michael Madden um, who's a music critic wrote that this song breathes easy during the verses and ascends elsewhere in the song Ooh. which is lovely isn't it think about all the space you have in those verses yeah. there's not much playing at all is there no, not at all. Is, there's nothing is, is it just his voice or uh, does, does jo- John Paul Jones hold jo- the chord? No, jo- John Paul Jones playing the, the, the keyboard and it's interesting because he, he's playing keyboards uh, I think for the first time you have John Paul Jones as the keyboard player in the yeah. band. And that was much, really important to Zeppelin later on. Oh, yeah, it was. Much more than the bass player. And that song's like, okay, we can prove that, you know, with just the chords and the main melody and lyrics, we can deliver a good yeah. song. If you listen to the whole first verse, it's pretty much that. Yeah. And again, you can't measure the, the tempo of that intro when yeah. the keyboards and the vocals are going on. So when the drums come in is when they establish a tempo and they, you know, and they groove, but it's really cool. Rick Rubin says, uh, the delicacy of the vocals is incredible. The acoustic guitar and the organ work together to create an otherworldly presence. Which is just lovely, isn't it? Perfect way to describe it. Do you know what something something I've got in my notes is, again, we were talking about the progression of Zep 1, 2, 3, and 4. Again, we'll get more into it into our Zep episode, but Zep 3, I'll summarise quickly. For me, Zep 1, if we're if I'm you know being broad, Zep one blues, yeah. Zep two rock, Zep three folk, Zep four everything from one, two, and three together. Yeah, this sense. song is an early sign of their folk influences, don't you think? For sure, acoustic guitar. Yeah, that that, that says everything about exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. So this is a little bit of what's to come in Zep three, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Excellent. Well, after thank you, we have the. Uh, the incredible it's a heartbreaker. heartbreaker. It oh. is, yeah. What a tune. I mean, we play this song on tour yeah. with Jack, don't we? And it's yeah, just such a that. great tune to play. Um the riff it's is fun. Just I think I think when you play that song, it just becomes way more interesting because you, you know you start noticing the details and yeah, it, it's 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 just again the guitar is in your face, yeah, loud and it's a riff. It, it, that riff, though, is like one note after the other in the same pace. It's kind of, I'm telling a story and I'm going to tell it slowly. You can understand everything. I think it? you'd call it 
lazy playing behind the beat because yeah. it's not bam 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 ba da bam. No, there's a swing bam, to it. Bam, bam, ba, da, da, yeah, there's, very, a, there's yeah, a swing to it, and uh, yeah, great opening riff. Uh, vocals are awesome again, and the groove is funky, you know, and there's lots of space, and also, and then you have the guitar solo, like proper solo, only guitar, and that that probably has has been done before, but it's probably the f- first famous. You know. I don't think it has. I think that that guitar solo, the fact that it's a solo on its own, yeah. is one of the first times this happened. Yeah. And a lot of people have really credited this guitar for being an influence on their playing. Uh, for example, Van Halen. Oh, you can The Van Halen yeah. says this about the song. Uh, so Van Halen cited Heartbreaker as the influence for him yeah. doing the tapping. Yeah. He said... I think I got the idea of tapping watching Jimmy Page do his Heartbreaker solo back in 71. He was doing a pull-off to an open string, and I thought, wait a minute, open string, pull-off? I can do that, but what if I use my finger as the nut and move it around? Yeah. I just kind of took it and ran with it. So, so there you go. Heartbreaker influencing Van Halen so to do his would, eruption. <laughs> so there it. would be no Van Halen without Heartbreaker. Not without Jimmy Page, but yeah. specifically without that exactly. song. The main riff of Heartbreaker actually is really interesting because it uses and it plays uh, on the minor blues pentatonic. That's, which, too, that's too technical for a drummer. <laughs> I'll talk so. to you guys then. Um, the, the minor blues pentatonic, I mean, a pentatonic scale is um, is five notes in a scale, and it's basically taking away... I, again, I don't want to get too musical, but it's taking... If you play a scale, a scale has um, eight notes, including the root and then the root above. And what pentatonics are, basically, is it is removing any tensions in the scale. Again, I'm not going to get too musical, but a pentatonic scale is five notes. Now, the blues pentatonic scale is five notes and adding one in the middle, which uh, we'll it's talk a bit more about later. That's the blue note. The blue note. And Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah, well done, man. I well know done. my theory. <laughs> oh, come on. Um, the, the minor pentatonic blues scale was used a lot by Led Zeppelin and very heavily. So when you play the blue note, that again, you making a reference to the blues. Yeah. Without... Um, that's the thing. Uh, it, it's a simple... Um, it's, I mean, to, in order to do that, you need to know blues. You need to know what a blue note is. So they, yeah. that that's all intentional. They know well, what they're doing there. I don't know. see why we should... Let's just talk about it very quickly. So we thought that, again, to, due to some feedback, people wanted to hear some examples of riffs and stuff. So what we'll do now is I'll just do a very quick thing about the pentatonic, the blues pentatonic. So here's the pentatonic scale, the minor pentatonic. Now the blue note you add in... That's the only difference. But you hear the blues in that note, don't you? Hear you hear the blues. So so when, when you hear the blues, you know it's a blue note. Uh, yeah. And but, that, that scale, the blue one, was used so many times by Zeppelin in so many different forms, which we'll touch that, on again later. That's, that's so why it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter if they get too heavy or, or, no. or, or whatever. There's always going to be an element of blues. Yeah. Well, I know you don't pay attention much to the harmonic stuff of what we do in Jack's band, but as I'm the bassist and I have to learn the notes... Jack uses the minor pentatonic blues scale a lot. Most of his opening riffs use that scale. So that's why people still say, oh, yeah, but he's still somehow a blues artist. Well, that's why... You can't can't get rid of the blues. No, there's songs (laughs) like this in Heartbreaker that have influenced rock and roll to such a degree that even now, in, what, 50 years later, we're still using it. 
Yeah, still using the scale the way Zeppelin used it. Just brilliant stuff. Amazing. Excellent. Anyway, I thought we'd take a break now and just move on to a segment that we could do. Um, Why not? Now, sir, I have prepared some lyrics for you from this album. Lyrics. So this new segment we got is called Guess the Lyrics. Oh, God. Lyrics. So what we're going to do is I've picked some lyrics uh, from this album. We've just got five little examples. Right. We're going to see if Felipe can guess which songs they're from. It's going to be a disaster. Well, I haven't gone obvious. I haven't put in Squeeze My Lemon or uh, Want A Whole Lot Of Love. So ah. <laughs> you're not going to get the easy ones. Um, so we'll go for number one. With a purple umbrella and a 50 cent hat. No, that's not. Living Love Mate? Yeah, well yeah. done. Cool. How did you get that? Cool. I'm try- Somehow it reminded me of the, of the, of the pace of the vocals, you know, because it's, it's, it's a faster one, isn't it? It, it is. To fit those words, it could be. It's also da-da, important da-da, the way he accents it. He goes, with a purple umbrella. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Without the melody, it's hard, man. Yeah. yeah but, okay. Right, number two. Mm. In the darkest depths of Mordor. Rumble on! There we go. I didn't, didn't even need to finish it. I had a backup of uh, the lyric after, because anyone who knows me knows I'm a massive J.R.R. Tolkien and Lord of the Rings fan, so I had to get in this reference. Yeah. Uh, Robert, Robert Plant was also a huge Tolkien fan. Well, you can tell. Yeah. So, and the lyric after this is, um, so what is it? In the darkest depths of Mordor, I met a girl so fair... But Gollum and the evil one crept up and sne- and ran away with her. You know, first time, first time I paid attention to those lyrics, I was like, "What the hell is that?" Because I never, because yeah, because <laughs> I, 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 I'm not uh, familiar with with yeah. talking stuff, I, and I, I didn't read Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I was like, "What's Mordor? Is, 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 is there a place in England that I don't know? <laughs> it's that? just up the road yeah. from Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> just up the road from Birmingham. Yeah, after Birmingham, before Wolverhampton, you got Mordor. Mordor. Yeah. But so, um, actually, there's another song. Quickly, do you know which other song is a Tolkien-based song? Uh, Battle of Evermore, maybe? Oh, do you know what? No. I don't know. It's either Battle of Ever- Evermore or... What's the song about? They just asked me a question. I, don't know I know, no, but yeah, because <laughs> I know the lyric though. The lyric is um, "The riders went in black, bring it back." That is that's Battle of Evermore. Yeah, that's yeah. that one. There's a few lyrics yeah. about talking in there. Yeah. Um, anyway, well done. That's uh, one out of two. Um, number no, three. No, it's two out of two. Come on, oh, you got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. So oh, here's number stealing three. the point from me. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> number three. Catch the wind, see us spin, sail away, leave a day. A minute. What is and what should never well be? Well done, the chorus. Right. Okay. Number four. Work so hard, can't unwind. Get some money saved. <sighs> Tough one. You're not repeating songs, are you? No, um, no, no. These are all different. Uh, bring her on home. No, total guessing. I have no <laughs> idea. What's that? I'll give you the one after. Work so hard, I can't unwind. Get some money saved. Abuse my love a thousand times, however hard I try. Uh, Lemon song? No. Oh, God. I'm totally lost here. So I sing it. Mm-hmm. Work so hard, I can't unwind. Get some money saved. 
Abuse my love a thousand times, however Heartbreaker. hard I try. Heartbreaker. Heartbreaker, oh. your time will oh, come. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Oh, <laughs> should have gone into that part. But, well, well, heartbreaker, your time <laughs> will come, yeah. Uh, right, last one. Shake for me, girl. I want to be your backdoor oh, man. Oh, a whole lot of Oh, you knew that. I didn't know because it's probably <laughs> the most... That's right ob- at the end. It's probably the most obscure lyric in Do the whole song. Do you know what it is? Because I, um, when I first learned to play that song, there's a drum feel that goes kind of... Next, uh, just before or during that that line, oh, really? and I was like, "Wow, that's that's, that's an interesting <laughs> line." <laughs> well, well done, mate. Four out of five, and that's oh, uh, that concludes this week's episode of uh, this week's segment of Guess the Lyrics. Guess the lyrics. Excellent. So let's pick up from where we left off. Uh, after mm. Heartbreak, we have the song "Living Loving Maid." Is that is that side B of the album now? I don't know how it was. No, but... I think Heartbreaker starts side B. All right, I think. Yeah. Well, we, we can't... Oh. Yeah, why not? Um, anyway, let's talk about Living, Loving, Maid. Yeah. Oh, uh, underrated song, in my opinion. You said to me before we started recording this that Jimmy Page doesn't like it. They never played it live because Jimmy Page hates it. Oh, we are <laughs> unwrapping the album now. It's not brand new. I just I seal all my albums in these uh, protective cases. So organized. Um, but yeah, Living, Loving, Maid... Yeah, so Heartbreaker starts side B. Yeah, side B. So we, we yeah, so we do. So that song, um, again, if you just take the chorus, it's almost like a pop song uh, somehow. But yeah, it's fast paced again. Um, yeah, good point. The song was about a woman who stalked them on tour in 1969. One of their groupies, yes. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so again, that, that's interesting in terms of like songwriting, in terms of lyrics. So if you're writing about the groupies, that's like real life experience. Isn't it? They're talking yeah. about people they know. Real they life were good rock and roll experience. <laughs> real life rock and roll experience. Not everyone has that kind of experience. But yeah, so they're writing about people they they knew uh, in real life, and it's it's cool. I mean, it's uh, so it's when you start to become a storyteller, isn't it? And, yeah. Um, yeah. When lyrics are important to the to conveying the message of the song. I do think that song could have been a hit if it wasn't. You know, in that album with yeah. Heartbreaker and No Let the Love. Well, it's funny because <laughs> the Living Loving, excuse me, the Living Loving Maid. Um, the riff that comes after uh, the lyrics is again in that minor pentatonic blues thing. It's another one, um, but the chorus of that song. So you've got the normal Zeppelin thing with that riff. Um, and that's very Zeppelin, isn't it? A riff yeah. based upon a scale, and then you go to that gorgeous chorus where John Paul Jones does his thing again with that beautiful melodic bass stuff. Um, and Bonham just gets so into the groove with that chorus, doesn't he? Because he's playing quite fast and quite hard for the verses, and then he just sw- slows it down and just starts playing so gracefully on that chorus. I think it's lovely, isn't it? It is amazing. It, it's They did pay attention to all the details. And again, they're not showing off in that one. Yeah, that's There's true. No, Another know, pop song. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, it's that's uh, that's that's this podcast's um, definition of pop music. Play, playing <laughs> yeah. for the song, playing not for, for the, the instrument. There, there you go. There you go. Um, after that, well, it's actually Ze- one of Zeppelin's most famous songs. I think is uh, "Ramble On." Um, quick fact: "Ramble On" was never played live until the reunion gig in two thousand. Oh yeah, that's that. That's true. That's true. I, I love that. that. I thought they'd have played yeah. it over and over again. And it's such a song. I've seen a video of uh, Page and Plant performing that one live. Uh, because they performed it live in 1994, 95. When they Page and Plant. Oh, but not yeah, Zeppelin. Not Zeppelin. The, when, they the toured, when they toured yeah. after recording 
uh, Noel Quarter. Yeah. Well, it's a great like, song, isn't it? And again, it's, yeah, a, it's another hint to the folky side of it. It is. It? And it, again, you have Light and Shade. In that case, it's so um, obvious. Yeah, because I agree. There's, yeah. there's no... Well, there's kind of a percussion vibe with the drums and uh, d- during the verse, but it explodes into this heavy groove yeah. when, when the when when the chorus starts. Uh, it's just a massive contrast. They just said, this is it, you know, folk, uh, quiet during the verse and loud, hard rock for the chorus. Isn't it interesting that they did that with What Is and What Should Never Be? But not the folk, they did psychedelic yeah. for the verse, yeah. rock for the chorus. And now for Ramble On, we're getting so they, 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 folk they, for the verse, rock for the chorus. You can claim they're kind of uh, repeating the formula, but the melodies and the, the lyrics are so different and everything yeah. else. So uh, they're using that one simple idea of light and shade, of contrast, of dynamics and power versus, you know, um, relaxing, whatever you're going to call it. Yeah. So it's so uh, uh, evident, but on the other hand, I think no one has done it to that extent until mm. that point in time. Yeah, so. yeah, excellent. Um, a little fun fact that I just uh, found out when I was doing my, um, my research. As we've mentioned loads of times, they recorded this album whilst on the road. Yeah. Now, things were really hard. Um, and it, like, like we said, they went to the hut, which had minimal equipment. The percussion on this song, um, you, know the, you know, the one that's just going through the whole verse, it's just... Yeah. isn't it it's just yeah. Bonham doing that yeah. he played it on a guitar case what's that <laughs> and they stuck a microphone on it and he's just on the he's on Paige's guitar case going um, someone else said um, he did he did multiple takes so that they could find the perfect tone maybe it's in my notes that is an interesting stuff so he they played the percussion on a guitar case a drum stool and a garbage can and then they chose the best one and then a garbage can <laughs> And either they mixed it all together and said, oh, we want less garbage can, more guitar case. <laughs> Is that's another thing to think, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jimmy, turn up the garbage can, mate. I think I think we need the, we need the treble, a bit more treble. Can I have a little bit of the low end of the guitar case? Yeah, and just tweak the drum stool a little bit. I want some more low notes in there. Again, uh, that, that's quite... <laughs> An innovation for the time, and if you know, they just did what they had to do. Yeah, let's yeah. record objects as and, and use them as music. You know, yeah. So which I remember is a we, common we played thing, a gig once, didn't we? I can't remember what it, what the gig was, but I remember you used a box of matchsticks. Yeah, um, and I can't remember what it was the gig, but we just needed something, and you had some well, matchsticks, and you just went. Yeah, everything is percussion. That's the thing. And Bonham was a percussionist. If if you really listen to everything he was doing, there's so many elements there that are not from, um, you know, drummers. It's not not, not the kind of stuff that a drummer would do, but a percussionist would definitely do. Amazing, amazing. Well, um, then this brings us on nicely to... Uh, well, we've already spoken about this, so we don't have to go on too much. Yeah. Moby Dick. Moby Dick. Again, um, just want to say again that it is a blues song, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a blues, blues chord progression. progression. Very oh. simple and totally written for the drummer to show off, and that yeah. was it. What's great about this song is that you could easily have ended it. I think actually this makes the song perfect. You They start and they play the riff, then they... They all cut out and it's just Bonham doing his thing. But then they play the same riff and they leave all the space for Bonham to do some crazy fills. For me, that makes the song. Because yeah. if you just if you just um if you just do riff as as the first repeat, drum solo, and the same riff again, the song hasn't gone anywhere. 
you've just played a riff, you've given the drummer a solo and you're back to the riff. Yeah. The fact that they've done the riff, given the drummer the solo and then introduced the riff with some crazy fills that Bonham does in those gaps, exactly. that elevates the song to the next level. And I know some people, or I've heard of, that some people skip the drum solo in this song. It's okay. Yeah. I don't I don't berate them for that. Who likes the drum solos? I mean. <laughs> the better than bass solos, aren't they? Um, but I will, for me... I, only... I don't know because I've never paid attention to a bass, so I can't tell you. But anyway, I will always. <laughs> now I know why your grooves when I bass solo are so simple. You're just doing what you know, right? Just turning off, I mean, watching the Formula One on your phone. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, bass solos. I mean, no, no one wants to hear them. Um, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, uh, I will listen to Moby Dick from start to finish because I feel like I've earned it. By the time I get to the end of Moby Dick and he's doing all those awesome fills in the gaps of the riff, yes. it feels like the journey has come to an end. And that's why I think it's a really, really good song, despite it being a, so, an uncommon instrumental. Yeah, interesting. It's, again, it's a, it's a journey. So basically they are still acting like storytellers, even if there's no lyrics. You know? yeah, there's yeah, there's a clear journey. This is the beginning. This is, you know, And there's a climax with the solo, but they, they kind of... Oh, Bonham keeps soloing until the end somehow. Oh, yeah. you know, really cool. And one of the most uh, famous drum intros of all time. So, you know, if, if we played that on a snare drum, that's People it. Moby Dick, yeah. everyone knows. And so this brings us on nicely to the final song of the album, which is, um, well, actually, I think it's the only song of the album that is credited to someone else because yes. this is a Willie Dixon song called Bring It On Home. Yeah, and what they did for and this one, and they kept one, the title exactly. And they kept—I uh, don't know what you want to call it—they paid homage to Willie Dixon. They used uh, what well, it's basically like a cover. The first and the uh, sorry, the start and the end of the song is basically a cover of the Willie Dixon version. Yeah. He plays guitar the same. He's got the harmonica. Plant is singing in that style, and it's—I think it's the only time. Okay, just realize it's the only time when they play in that specific part of the song. They're not trying. To take the blues to another, um, yeah. another dimension. They play they it, it just yeah. like the original. They are leaving it as the blues with yeah. the harp and everything. You know, it's just like let's sound like the original song. Yeah. Um, and so then after that, the middle section is just Zeppelins. All of that, the middle bit is all Zeppelins, yeah. despite the fact that it's a bring on home. You got that really cool riff, um, and then they get Zeppeliny, don't they? They they put their stamp on the song again. Light and shade is a heavy yeah. section after that. Again, yeah, yeah. and and I think it's it's a, an interesting way to, to to end an album. It's definitely not the most uh, powerful song in the album, and comes just after the drum solo yeah. thing. It's, um, yeah, yeah, great. Well, really good song and great album. So that's it. We'll come to the end of the album. Um, yeah. Let us know your thoughts in the comments. Give us on you know, on social media. Give us uh, tell us what you think of your album, of the album and what your favorite song is. And if you haven't listened to Led Zeppelin two, what are you doing? What are you I doing think here? It's a good place for us what to start, you, isn't what, it? You know? As, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, no, don't. No, stop, stop watching this. Go listen to the album. You know? All right. Exactly. So we're going to do one of our segments now. This is Last Unleashed. So this week's segment of Last Unleashed... Um, the Lemon Song is one of the best bass performances ever in the history of bass guitar, double bass, 
the everything bass, the Lemon Song for me is the perfect example of a bass line. Perfect example. I like that. Sure, I don't disagree with you at all. Hey, there yeah. we go. Yeah. Three episodes in. Yeah. And I think to get... <laughs> I, I think I'm going to be even more controversial and say at that point, John Paul Jones was as good as Jacob Astorius. Just saying. Well, the reason I'll give you, yeah, well, I'll give you my reasons for it. As a bass player, I feel that my um, my duty as a bass player is to connect the drums to the melodic instrument. So in our case with Jack, it's connecting the guitar and vocals to the drums. To explain the joke from the singer to the drummer. Isn't I it? love this one. Yeah, well, I always forget it. The drums cannot play notes. So uh, you've got the guitar playing the melodies and the chords and the harmonies, but the drums is doing the rhythm and the bass needs to connect them both by playing notes that complement the guitar and the vocals and playing rhythms that work with the drums. And I think that on the Lemon Song, John Paul Jones is just doing a stunning example of both. He's keeping the groove stunningly well with Bonham. He's playing not only the root notes that make Jimmy Page's chords sound right. Uh, you know, it's not jazz they're playing; it's rock. They got to sound. They got to be together. But the fills he does, the little fills that he does. There's one them. They're, they're just stunning. They're well, just when, stunning. When Plant is improvising the vocals, you can claim that what happens underneath is a bass solo. You know. Some Ooh, people yeah. don't call it, but I think it's a bass solo because the guitar is very quiet there, not playing much, and the drums are keeping the groove and following the bass. It yeah. feels to be like uh, Bonham is following John Paul Jones, not the other way around. That's... So it's, it, it, if it's not soloing, he's leading. Fine, I'll take that. Yeah, take the, that. The, the, bet, okay. the, the thing that you said that convinced me most is that Bonham is following... Pe uh, jo Jones. Yeah, That's the most convincing argument yeah. for me that it's a bass solo, but... Again, I, I just think it is just, it's just I, every time I hear it, and I must have listened to it, well, I tried to learn it when I was younger, so I must have must have listened to it a good hundred times, and it blows me away every time. I don't think there is a more complete, perfect example as to what constitutes modern-day electric bass playing than in... Well done. Leather Lemon Song. Yeah. Well there you said. go. So maybe maybe not that controversial, yeah. but that brings us uh, to to the close of another segment of uh, Las Unleashed. So um, we've done the album now. Yeah, that's really it. That's any, that's any, that's any, any final thoughts? Um, just one thing that crossed my mind when we were talking specifically about Lemon Song. There's a bit of funk in yeah. that bass stuff. Yeah. So I think they kind of introduced funk rock as well at that point a specific it's point it's certainly an early there would, hint, isn't it well there wouldn't the be Red Hot Chili Peppers without Led Zeppelin for sure yeah and um, Chad Smith um, Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer claimed that he got most of his funk influence or some of his funk influence from John Bonham really? who wasn't a funk drummer he was, yeah exactly well, but he's a rock drummer <laughs> but you can you can hear that so it's just saying Led Zeppelin 2 is folk psychedelic pop Hard rock, blues, funk. Everything. Everything in 1969. Yeah. Wow. But isn't it funny that, that you, you identify those little nuances, but it is a rock album. It is what, essentially. Yeah. It is, yeah. So it's brilliant, brilliant stuff. Yeah. So anyway. Last thing I want to say about it is, if there is any list of mandatory rock albums you need to listen to, yeah, this is definitely one of them. It has to be in any. I mean, it would be 
any of my lists. You know? Yeah, well, I didn't even write down how many yeah. lists they're in because you know I did it with a whole lot of love because only a few of them. But um, there you go. But um, oh, we should talk about the album cover quickly because I did yeah. some research on that. Oh. Um, so this album cover. They're all bikers, those guys. No, they're not. Let me tell you what it is. This is. This is a um, regiment of the German Air Force during World War One. You're joking? No, Didn't there's know a, that. there's an original picture. So what he's done is he has he has taken this photo. He's <laughs> added the heads of the band members in. But in the original photo, there's a German uh, fighter plane behind them. So all he's done is to protect the, I suppose, the identities of the soldiers. Excuse me. Um, he's put facial hair and um, oh, glasses on Oh, that's why them. they look like bikers. The artist, <laughs> yeah. The artist is a guy called David Juniper, who uh, Jimmy Page went to college with. Um, and he did this that's all. some innovation right there. It is, you know? yeah. Um, Early Photoshop. Exactly, literally, yeah. <laughs> now, I've read something about this woman, but I can't remember. But anyway, it's a, it's a German World War One Air Force division. And I think the artwork inside is just lovely as well, isn't it? And uh, yeah, for those who are only listening, the, well, the artwork inside is. Google have, it. Yeah. Yeah, no, you just have a massive Zeppelin, <laughs> you know, uh, with their names. And it's how confident they were about themselves. You have their names on, you know, how can you describe this? Like? You say that it's like a monument. So yeah. you know the Washington Monument in America. It looks like that. It looks like that you just have this monument that's giving praise to Zeppelin with, with their names on it and the light. It's like we are really cool and with know? a massive golden Zeppelin above it. So yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's the album. Lots of self confidence. Yeah. There. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us uh, on our third episode. Um, we've absolutely loved reviewing this album. It's one of my favourites. I'm sure it's one of Felipe's favourites. Sure. Um, please find us on social media. You can find our podcast at Long Live RNR Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And we've got a Long Live Rock and Roll podcast page on Facebook. So come in, give us a share, give us a follow, get involved in the discussions. Um, we've had a great time and uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, everyone. Keep on rocking. And as always, long live rock and roll.